0: From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 IFM. You're listening to 101.9 FM. I am Benji Shulman and welcome to the show. It's good to be with you on the new Blue Review if you're listening to us on 101.9 FM or chaifam.com or indeed if you're listening to us on the Jerusalem Post, it is good to be with you and welcome to the show. This is the new Blue Review, your favorite Jewish politics, innovation, culture and just about everything else show. And as I said, I am Benji Shulman and it's a Monday morning and uh, perhaps you've looked out of your window and you're not quite sure. I mean, where we are in the studio at the moment, the sky is blue, it's a bit chilly. But, you know, it is that time of the year. You're thinking perhaps you need a holiday. Perhaps you want to go out there and explore a little bit, find your inner adventure. Well, we've got something a little bit different for you today. And someone who is going to talk to us about how can you find that adventure. His name is Hugh Reichlin. And he is allegedly a lawyer, but his real job is that he is is a Jewish tour guide and we're going to be talking for the next uh, little while about Jewish tourism and Jewish themed tourism and what is going on in the world because everywhere I look on my Facebook people are hanging about in shuls in India and going to see the ancient communities of Morocco and finding their roots in Lithuania so... It's a fascinating uh, phenomenon in the Jewish world. And I know that a lot of people who actually have been on some of Hugh's tours are are listening in. So if you are, please say hello to Hugh if you haven't seen him in a while. You can SMS us on 34519, email us on onairchayfm.com, can tweet us at atchayfm, or even WhatsApp us anywhere in the world six
1: two one four eight two three seven four Hugh, welcome to the New Blue Review. Thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you for inviting me, Benji, and good morning to your listeners. If uh, Hugh's maybe sounding a little bit uh, off, it's only because he just got back from Lithuania on Thursday and uh, came kind of straight from the studio via the weekend, so it's great. Well, hopefully I'm sounding inspired, not off. <laughs> I'm feeling inspired, and I'm still feeling like I'm on cloud nine after having come back. Yeah, maybe off was the, the, not quite the quite <laughs> I was trying to get at (laughs) there
0: not at all okay so let's talk about this so how does a good Jewish lawyer uh,
1: you end up being a uh, a a travel tour guide well actually Benji the the connection is quite strong Mm -hmm. and that is that uh, I qualified as an attorney about 30 years ago and about uh, 10 years after I'd qualified I decided to do a notary's exam to to become a notary public and I was studying with a a friend He was a little bit older than me by the name of Owen Bloomberg who unfortunately passed about a year or so ago and uh, he was in very he was very involved with uh, It was I think it was project 2000 or Jerusalem 2000. I can't remember the 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 name of the 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 program it was connected to the Jewish Agency and and He said to me that there was going to be a public debate at the HOD in Orchards in Johannesburg uh, about the upcoming Israeli elections. And that was when Bibi Netanyahu uh, was running for the prime minister for the first time. And he said to me that they've asked various people from the community to uh, represent each of the the parties that were going to be uh, contesting that particular election. And he said he was supposed to chair that evening and he couldn't make it would I step in. So I said, Owen, look, I wouldn't say that I'm the biggest expert on Israeli politics, but uh, I think I can handle myself uh, in in doing this uh, debate and chairing the debate. Anyway, it was a very successful evening. What's interesting, Benji, is that uh, there was a vote afterwards where people could vote for you know, the party that they felt came across the best, and Bibi Netanyahu actually uh, <laughs> <laughs> was the winner of that particular debate. So you nearly became a campaign manager instead <laughs> of a tour guide, right? <laughs> I wasn't steering the debate, I was just keeping it open, chairing uh, it, and uh, there was a rabbi in the audience, Rabbi Adus, Adi Sultanik, who at the time was working with the IUAUCF, and um, he was also the, 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 the rabbi of the Clermontschild in Cape Town. He flew up for this occasion. And he said to me, Hugh, I thought that you handled it very nice, or very well tonight. We're actually going to Poland. we we choosing young people from about eight or nine countries all over the world to travel under the banner of the Jewish uh, agency. Um, and he said... Would you like to represent South Africa? We're looking for a few South African young people that would be able to uh, take on leadership positions in the community afterwards as a result of what they're going to be seeing in Eastern Europe. And we're starting off with Poland so that people can go to Auschwitz to crack out to understand and see you know, where it happened, where the Holocaust happened. And uh, they also took us into, into Belarus, to Minsk, to see the effects of communism on Jewish life. And I went along. And it was life changing and that was really the link because for me, what had happened in the Holocaust, for example in in the second World war was something that was that i 'd heard about in, in, in school i 'd read about in books i 'd seen the documentaries i 'd seen the movies. But to believe that I could actually walk through the, geish- the, the gates of Auschwitz, uh, to see Arbeit macht frei, uh, to walk into the gas chambers, to walk into a crematorium—it was—it was surreal, and and it really turned my life around in the sense that I actually saw that there was the possibility of traveling to parts of the world and literally seeing before your eyes everything that was historic. Uh, and that was intellectual and here it was something that was experiential. So you you start off you go to this this Poland tour and
0: clearly it has a a profound effect and then what? How did you go from, from being on the
1: group to taking the group? It, it was a process of 20 years. I'll try and encapsulate it in a minute or two. <laughs> uh, but but essentially, uh, the year after we went to Poland, the IUAUCF invited me to go to Spain once again. It was a group of about 30 of us, about eight or nine countries, uh, young people. And um, they took us to Spain to see a a historic community because we were told that about 60% of the Jewish world lived in Spain and Portugal in the 1300s, the 1400s, so that once we had seen the Holocaust, which was a 20th century catastrophe, uh, to try and understand that there was also a catastrophe in the 1400s. And in fact, what was quite remarkable was that the the numbers linked up as well. And that was that uh, about 60% of... Um, Well, it was was two-thirds It was six million out of nine million Jews were murdered in the Holocaust And it was also about two-thirds of the Jewish world of Spain and Portugal Were murdered in the Inquisition uh, that took place in Spain and Portugal So we saw the profound effects of those two catastrophic historic events um, over that period of of about five hundred years. Now it's
0: interesting. You you know you, you you talk first of all about the European and then the. the the, the Spanish and uh, the different time periods. So there, there is a quite a lot of history. And when I came into studio today, when we were discussing this, you kind of presented me with this list of, of places that you've been, <laughs> uh, and and it, it is interesting about how broad the kind of travel it is that you can you can do it. So so tell us a little bit where are the places at the moment that people are visiting when they're doing when sort of, tour a uh, Jewish
1: related historical tours. Benji, I think that people go to places where there's a personal connection to their to their background, and I think that most people today in the world from Canada and America and Australia, South Africa, um, they they're going back to Europe because our roots were all in Europe. So that's where I think predominant you know Jewish heritage tours go. Um, Obviously, one has to look at Israelis. And I I was just wondering when I was was driving here this morning as to whether there are Jews in Israel that go back to Morocco and Yemen and Egypt and and Syria and all of those places. I think that that's far more complex because of the whole, you know, the relations between Israel and and those Arab countries. But I think that there are people that go back. In fact, we're planning to do a trip to Morocco at the end of October, beginning of November. Uh, when I say we, I've, I've linked up with uh, Eddie's Kosher Travels, which we can talk about a little bit later. Um, but we're going, that's going to be, for me, very exciting. because well, it's the first time that I'm going to a Middle Eastern country. And I'm hoping to attract Swadim people that themselves came from Morocco, from Arab countries, and also Ashkenazim that are fascinated with our Swadi roots. Well, you're listening
0: to 101.9 Chai FM. I'm Benjamin Shulman, and this is the New Blue, New Blue Review. We're speaking to Hugh Reichen, and uh, when we come back, we're going to be carrying on talking about Jewish travel around the world. From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 Chai FM. And, uh, yeah, interesting to know what's going on in your area from a budget perspective. And uh, Rabalani Degada actually Recently talking of which actually went on a trip to Israel himself Uh, He's not Jewish But uh, he he loved it And he's a big fan So uh, if you want to listen to The finance MMC uh, of Joburg I would definitely suggest it Uh, Certainly worthwhile Listening to what's going on In your city And what we're listening to today Is what's going on In the whole world In the Jewish world This is the new Blue Review And I'm Benji Shulman And if you're listening to us On FM or ChaiFM.com Or indeed on the Jerusalem Post Welcome to the show We've been talking today to Hugh Reichlin, he is uh, a, a a kosher travel, a Jewish travel expert. And if you have any questions, please, SMS us on 34519. You can email us on com, tweet us at arachayfm, or indeed WhatsApp us, uh, 2374 So yeah, that is what we're talking. And before the break, Hugh, we were kind of talking about you know, the reason that, uh, or, or the places, rather, that people are going. But what is the reason for this? I mean, Back in the day, you wanted to go to Mauritius not to see the old shore It was to sit on the beach, right? So, so, so where does the
1: sudden interest come from, do you think? Benji, I think that the short answer is that people are interested, I believe, people are interested in their own personal roots. Where do I come from? And, you know, today the world is, we're living in the information age where there's so much information that we are constantly being bombarded with. But it's very much information about what's happening now in the present and not a great deal of it really takes us back in time. And I think that for most people when you have those quiet moments of trying to define your life, uh, where you're headed, what are your values, where do they come from, what are your issues – uh, some people call it the baggage that, that we that we grow up with. Um, I think that in unpacking that baggage in getting into one 's soul in getting into one 's mind and heart, one has to look back and ask where we came from. Um, I think Alex Haley several decades ago wrote a book about roots, which was about black Americans trying to find their roots where they came from in africa and and I think that that 's very much uh, that, that, that applies to everybody. Um, I remember, even in fact, in criminology when I was doing my LLB, uh, that we did a course um, about his problems within various communities, and there was a a, a syndrome that was detected called anumie, which became which was a study of of the history of the coloureds in South Africa. And there was a study done where it appeared that, as a result of their lack of information about their roots and, and, and having a long and deep-rooted culture, that it led to certain social problems. Anumi, that feeling of disconnectedness, of not having a past, of not having a heritage and culture that is specific to you, that has been uh, carried on, uh, you know, through through the generations. And I think that, particularly as Jews, um, we have a a culture that goes back, as we know, 3,000 years, and it's very well documented. Every Pesach we sit down and we read from the Haggadah, which is uh, an occurrence that took place 3,000 years ago, but it's very much within the Jewish psyche to revisit it. And it's not just indulging oneself in the historic fact, but it's saying, I define myself today as a result of that experience that I've had as a Jew, as being part of the Jewish people going back literally thousands of years. But it is interesting, I think,
0: that you talk about these sorts of things because I think that there has been a change, a generational change, if you like. I think that uh, if I've spoken to certain grandparents or whatever about the their European uh, background in terms of uh, where where they lived or whatever, there's maybe a, a, some sort of nostalgia for for that place you know that they grew up, but there's not a lot of interest in going back. They, they see those places and those people as being anti-Semitic, and you know why would you want to go there and and you know support uh, uh, that kind of a, a place? And yet now there's almost a switch. They say, all right, people want to go back even despite those things and
1: go and see what happened. Benji, you've put your finger on an incredibly important point, and it comes up a lot when people come to my talks in South Africa, wherever I speak in the world, uh, and and on these tours that I take, uh, you know, to various destinations. And there were really two schools of thought. There were were those that came out of the Holocaust and came out of Eastern Europe, to South Africa, to to Australia, to to the States and Canada, etc. Excuse me, and... They didn't want to burden, they they saw it in inverted commas, they didn't want to burden the next generation with what they had been through. And many of them were silent. They didn't share because I think there were two reasons. I think the one was the pain that they carried inside. And they thought, you know, well, first of all, it was just simply too painful to talk. They had lost most of their families that some of them had been through horrific experiences. They couldn't talk. Second of all, they thought, you know, this was something that happened to me. You living in the free world, you now in the Western world, let me not bother you with, with what had happened. And I certainly understand the point of view that says, why must I go back to Lithuania? Why must I go back to Poland? Why must I help the people? Why must I contribute to the, the economy of these people, of, of these countries where, where, they, where they slaughtered the Jews? Then there are others that come up to me and say, you know, one of the, my biggest, well, it's not really a regret of theirs, but something that they do regret is that their grandparents never spoke to them. Mm -hmm. And so many people come up to me and they say, you know, I wish I knew the shtetl that we came from. I wish I knew some personal anecdotes of what happened to my family, where they were, who my great-grandmother was, how they lived. But my grandmother or my great-grandmother never shared it with me. And there's an an angst and there's a, a, a deep regret within these people that come and talk to me about the fact that there hasn't been that oral transmission. Mm -hmm. Because as we were saying earlier, Jews are the greatest oral transmitters and now it's even in the written form. But here you had a shutdown. So I think that there are a lot of people today that are now trying to unravel their past. And I think that one of the blessings that God has given us is is the internet and, and as I said earlier, the information uh, technology that we have, where people can go to places like jewishgen.org, and people are using the internet. People are using every opportunity that they can to try and investigate their roots in the absence of... I was, I was talking this morning uh, to Rabbi Zulberg at, you know, at the base in, in, in Glen Hazel, and he was saying to me how very little they have, what information they have. They've just got a shtetl name, but they don't know much about what happened to the family. And for him, it's, 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 it, it bothers him. And he said to me, how do I access that information? How do I try and reconstruct that past? So you've got the, that dichotomy of people craving to find out more. And on the other hand, people that are saying, I can't go there. So now talk to us a little bit about the tours themselves. I mean, you go, uh, you've just
0: come back from Lithuania, you've been to Poland, uh, uh, even parts of South America, Japan, uh, Portugal, all these sorts of places. Tell us a little bit about what it's like to go on one of these tours to actually uh, engage. I mean,
1: do you meet other Jews there? What is it like? Have you got a few hours? <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with a couple of uh, anecdotes. Um, the one is you mentioned Portugal. A few years ago, we we went to Lisbon. We went to Portugal, and we were in Lisbon. The the only functioning shul in Lisbon. We went on a Friday night, and our group went uh, to shul, and we were staying. We were standing outside the in the the entrance to the, the synagogue before we went inside to pray, and. Um, I saw three chaps, local guys that were standing on the side and they weren't really interacting with anybody and I've got that kind of journalist uh, instinct. So I walked up to them and and asked them if they could speak English and they said they could speak in English. And I asked them, you know, what they were doing here, what they were doing in the the synagogue that night. And they said, actually, we're McGuiring to Judaism and um, the rabbi in the synagogue is is, uh, converting us. And um, if I remember correctly, his name was Boaz Pash. And I said, well, tell me a little bit about your story. So the one said that he was from a village on the Portuguese-Spanish border and felt this craving to find out about Judaism and the Jews. And he was converting. And one thing straight away, this must have been a chap from a stock. The other one said that he was from Brazil Speaks Portuguese, and he heard about this rabbi in Portugal, in Lisbon, that can speak Portuguese, that that converts people. Now, once again, one thing straight away: where, where did the Jews go after the Spanish Inquisition and, and the expulsion from Spain and Portugal? They went to Brazil, they went to Argentina, they went to South America. Probably a shama, a soul coming back. The third guy says to me, he's from Mozambique. I said, really? Mozambique? I said, I'm from South Africa. You're my next door neighbor. I said, where about? He said, from Maputa, Lorenzo Marx. I said, that's incredible. I said, why are you converting? He said, to me, I'll tell you. He said, uh, I felt always that I was Jewish. But I grew up in a Catholic home. And my great grandmother, Esther Cardoza, in Maputa, used to take me to church on a Sunday. She wore a big cross. She wore a black skirt just like the typical Portuguese ladies would in Mozambique. And she used to say that before we went into church on a Sunday, she would make me say a silent prayer and touch my head and make a movement across my chest. But it wasn't Portuguese. It wasn't English. It was a language I didn't understand. And she made sure that nobody saw me doing this or hearing the words that I was saying. He said, but... I wanted to find out more about Judaism and I couldn't understand where it came from so I went to Portugal, to Boaz Pash in in, in Lisbon. He said one day he's busy giving us a talk and he said you know that the Muranos when they went into hiding, they used to say a disclaimer in Ladina, God is in my head, God is in my heart and he would point his head in his heart so that's already the one part of the cross so to speak externally and I don't believe in the stones and the sticks and then he'd cross his chest to which I'm about to pray. And he realized that what he had been saying was a disclaimer of the Muranos and his great-grandmother. Her name was Esther. And Cardoza was a well-known name of those Muranos, those Anusim, that, that converted. And he realized that that was the stock that he came from. So he was so excited to hear this. And he went back to Maputo on one of his visits. And he went to his great-grandmother Esther. And he told her what he was doing and that he was becoming Jewish. She nearly fainted. She had an anxiety attack. She said, what are you doing? How can you become Jewish? They're going to burn you. Wow. Now, what do we hear from this, Benji? For me, what it was saying was, is that the experiences that we have had as Jews has been imprinted in our DNA. And here was a woman several centuries after the expulsion from Spain and Portugal that remembered the auto da fé, the public executions by burning that took place in Lisbon, that took place in Spain. And here she was carrying it forward to Mozambique. And here was a guy in the 21st century in Lisbon that was part of that heritage. Absolutely fascinating. One of the
0: interesting aspects that, you, that you're talking about, I think, which is interesting for me, is also trying to understand the things that people take for granted in their culture. I mean, certainly, you know, we're here in a station in South Africa. Uh, many of the Jewish community here come from from Lithuania, from that sort of Eastern European uh, type uh, place, and a lot of how the community is organized and the kinds of activities we get involved in, we kind of take for granted, and you don't realize that it's kind of actually unusual some of the things that we do here in South Africa. I guess just like any Jewish community in the world is unusual compared to other Jewish communities, and you can never figure out why. And what I've heard interesting from you, uh, you know, listening to some of the talks that you've given, is going to these places you suddenly start to figure out first of all the major personalities uh, that we talk about in the Jewish world today, uh, I remember you explained about the house that you went to that sort of thing uh, and, and but also some of the institutions you start to figure out why the communities look the way that they do because some of that culture was carried through
1: from uh, Eastern Eastern Europe Absolutely, Um one of my observations after having been to Lithuania is that most of the Jews in Lithuania lived in the Shtetlach. Mm-hmm. Where did the Jews come to in South Africa when they first came here? They went to the Shtetlach of rural South Africa. rural areas. Yeah. The rural areas. They went to Benoni. They went to Kroonstad. Renet. They went to Velkom. They went to places in the Free State, Natal, the Cape Province, uh, you know, Gauteng as we know it today, all over. And as you say correctly, what did they do? They built a shul first. Many of them built a mikveh. They would build a cheder, and when you go back to the shtetlach in Eastern Europe, you see exactly the same thing: that the shul was the core of the community. I mean, I went; we went Mir last week, and we saw over there that they had a shul cloise, which was several synagogues in the main, just off the main square of the shtetl, with the Talmud Torah. Just the same as we have over here, you have your Jewish day schools and you have your synagogues. And you see that that's, that's a Jewish value. If I could just share an interesting anecdote and I shared it, I spoke it at Pine Street Shul this past Shabbos, um and I shared it with them um, and I said to them, when we see the chopped herring being served at this Keresh Brocha, Pine Street Shul, <laughs> right, this last Shabbos, I said, how would you expect to see it? So People weren't sure exactly what I, what I was after. So I said, well, I went to a place called Schwentzian. And there was a lady there, Mrs. Katz, who's unfortunately passed away since I saw her several years ago. And she served me chopped herring when, when I went to visit her with two of my friends that I was traveling with. And I said to the people at Pine Street, now let me take you through this. Let's describe, first of all, what was it served in? Describe the platter. So they said it was glass. I said, describe the glass. They said it was probably the shape of a fish. I said, and tell me, was it cut glass? Is it cut glass? They said, yes, absolutely. We would Jews in South Africa would serve their chopped herring on a cut glass dish, which was in the shape of a fish. I said, right. Now, how was the herring presented? So they said the chopped herring would be flattened on the top. And then I said, would there be any color or any vegetables on top? So I said, absolutely. There would be pickled cucumbers with lions. And then there would be the yellow of the egg and the white of the egg with, you know, between the demarcated areas. And everybody was laughing because that's how we've served it. And when I sat with Mrs. Katz in Svensia in Lithuania, and she brought this chopped herring to the table in the cut glass dish with the egg on top and all of and I said, wo, wo wo in, in, in Durham Africa. it's the same it's the same way that and she said, to dos and where did you find get your your chopped herring? You come from here, you're a lead fucker. What did you expect to see something different? Now, it's a little anecdote and it's, and it's of course gastronomic <laughs> because Jews, we, we talk about food and we enjoy food. But it's just that transmission of the culture. And as you say, I mean, I just spoke about the food aspect. Of course, we had gefilte fish with her and I don't need to describe all of that as well. So it was, as you said, it was the the Rabonim that were there, the Gaona Vilna, the Chaim, the movement of Rabbi Srel Selanta in Lithuania, which... Which promoted the concept of Derich Eretz, Torem Derich Eretz. And I think that as South Africans, we take pride in the fact that we come from a culture which which promoted being a mensch. That it's not only the ritual, it's not only the the man and God relationship that we focus on, but it's the man and man. And that's why you have a plethora of helping societies in South Africa. You've got the Rambam Charitable Trust, you've got the Gevra Kedisha, you've got Yad Aaron, and Michael the Food Fund. We can go on, the list goes on, every shul has a gemach. Now I'm saying that if you're trying to understand, and you've alluded to it, you actually mentioned it, Benji, if you try and understand and unpack what it is that we have in South Africa, it comes from their home, it comes from where we came from. And
0: right. what's also interesting is that uh, the community here is also very strongly Israel-related, very Zionist, uh, and that also actually comes from that area of the world. That There was a very strong Zionist movement that you didn't find in Western Europe at the time.
1: Absolutely, and one of the topics that that uh, I, I talk about when we when we take these tours to Lithuania, and by the way, it's not just Holocaust. F- as focus on Holocaust, of course, you've got to deal with that part, but we talk about exactly what you're saying here. I talk about the origins of Zionism that came out of Lithuania, that you had the early Zionists, the early religious Zionists of Mizrahi that came out of uh, out of Lithuania. Um, the also, the secular from, from the Haskalah, from the, 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 Bilu groups, the, the, um, Achad Ha'ams and all these other people that gave rise to the concept of secular. Uh, Zionism that came out of Lithuania as well, and Herzl went, you know, to to these Eastern European countries to encourage people to go and aliyah. So you had, for example, you had the early origins, as I said, of Mizrahi happening over then. When we went to the ninth fort, uh, just outside Kovna, where 30,000 Jews were murdered, that came from Kovna. They have a museum inside, and you see one of the early Mizrahi religious uh, um, Zionist newspapers where it said, e- "Eretz Israel." Um, Medinat Israel, Eretz Israel, Alpi, Torat Israel. You see it on a newspaper going back to the 1920s. So, so there again you're seeing why we are such a Zionistic community over here and that we have the spectrum. We've got, uh, you know, from the left to the right, but passionate about Israel.
0: Absolutely fascinating. We're talking to Hugh Reichlin, and we'll take a short break and we'll come back with some talking about international Jewish travel. The best part of your day. At the heart of your community.
1: All the talk. All the music. All the news.
0: Chai FM. I'm Benji Shulman. Welcome back. This is the new Blue Review. And if you're listening to us on Chai FM or chaifm.com or the Jerusalem Post, we've been talking about Jewish international travel. And what is it like to go and rediscover your roots in a country where your ancestors used to come from. And in the studio we've got Hugh Reichland. Uh He is um, a Jewish travel expert and someone who's really gone all over the world uh, looking for interesting nuggets of uh, of Jewish history and, uh, and and places and people. And we've just been having a chat with him about that. Uh, and now Hugh, before the break we kind of spoke about you know discovering the Jewish community. We spoke a little bit about anti-Semitism in various communities uh, that were in the past. But do you... Engage with some of the populations that you that you come uh, with, and, and what is the reception like if you do?
1: Benji, definitely, we we uh, connect with the populations and the people that we find in in each and every place. People are curious. People ask us questions while we're there, and we're also curious. We we want to engage with the people over there to ask them, "Do you remember the Jews? Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about your town or your village or your city?" And people are happy to talk. I must say that, thank God, I've never personally experienced anti-Semitism in any of the trips that I've been on for the last 20 years. There was one incident that happened in Slonim, which is a a town in in Belarus, which was once part of Greater Lithuania, where I thought that this was going to be an anti-Semitic issue, and it it turned out to be quite the contrary. We went to a synagogue in Slonim, which goes back to about 1764, I think it was, uh, A magnificent building, Baroque architecture, unfortunately hasn't been maintained and is desperately in need of of care and renovations. We walked through this particular synagogue and afterwards, uh, uh, this was last year's group where we had uh, almost 40 people that came on our tour. And one of the ladies that was with us, Susan Sherman from from Cape Town, she brought a a flag because her uncle was involved with the Bielski brothers in Novardok, you know the, the wonderful story of the Bielskis. So she was carrying this flag around, and she wanted to also walk through Novardok with it, but she took it out in Slonim. And as we had come through the synagogue, we were standing in what was the main one, the main square of, of of Slonim, and there were Gentiles all around us. And we looked at this flag, and we started singing. Yisrael israel we just felt that that we were back as Jews from all our communities and we were seeing a derelict shul. and we started singing softly and quietly to each other and we started and it started building up, and then more and more people in our group started coming together and slowly it became a flash mob. And we were singing in full voice, Oda Vino, And the non Jews, the Gentiles around the square were looking. People put their heads out of the windows, their heads out of the doors, like the Jews are <laughs> back. The synagogue hasn't operated in decades. And here we are singing in the street. Anyway, it was a great, great moment. And we were walking down the street back to our bus, and a guy comes, a Belarusian, in an old, dirty car. Uh, and he he stops and starts talking Russian to me. So I thought maybe some issue over here. I wasn't feeling very comfortable. It hadn't happened to me before. So our guide, our local guide who can speak uh, Russian, asked him to please move along. But he was quite determined. And I don't know why, but he seemed to focus on me and he wanted to talk to me. So he parked his car a little bit down the road close to where our bus was. So we had to walk past him because we were down, walking down the street. Comes out and I see he's holding a big thick black book. And now I was intrigued. And I walked up to him, and I didn't feel threatened at all, and he looked like he wanted to show me the book. I opened it up, and it was a book that had been... It was a Tanakh that had been written in the 1800s, and he wanted me to see it. And I thought, this is something that I want to buy. I want to bring it back into the Jewish people. Anyway, after a short negotiation, I bought it. He was happy, um, and I was happy, and we had done a good deal. So I walked onto the bus and I wanted to read at least the first Pasuk of the Torah that this book now, which was obviously owned by somebody in the Holocaust that he had found in Slonim, that I was going to once again read from it. And somebody said to me, Instead of just reading from the beginning, why don't you just open up on any random page of the of the Torah, of the the five books? And, and and tell us what that pasuk says. And I opened up and I touched a pasuk. And it was an amazing pasuk. It was when the Jews were fighting our eternal foes, the Amalekites. And Moses was sitting on the rock. And it was Aharon and Hur that were sitting on both sides of, of, of him and holding up his arms. And for so long as his arms were up and his eyes were facing to Shemaim, to the heavens, we won that particular war. And I said, and here we are. The Amalekites, the Nazis, and the collaborators tried to destroy us, but our eyes and our hearts were towards Shammai, and we've never lost that faith, we've never broken the bond, and here we are again today celebrating our Jewishness. And where does the book live today? in my home <laughs> and anybody that wants to see it is welcome to come. <laughs> absolutely fascinating you tell us a little bit
0: you know someone who who is listening to a show like this is thinking about uh, uh, uh traveling maybe looking into their own jewish roots from wherever they came from uh, or maybe following their, their family stories what is the best way to start to
1: start to get a handle on on this kind of thing Benji, I think that there are a number of organizations today that are doing Jewish heritage tours, and particularly those people that want a kosher tour, they have you know, kosher facilities, which are not easy. And I must tell you that my personal experience is that it's much easier traveling in a group with, with an organization as opposed to trying organizing the logistics oneself with a driver, with kosher food and accommodation, and getting a guide that understands what's going on in each place. So I would certainly encourage people to do their heritage tourism in a group mm-hmm. uh, with professionals. I think if one Googles, uh, you know, Jewish heritage tours, I think that quite a lot will come up. I know that there are a couple of people in our community, like Rabbi Ramon Widmont of the Mizrahi. Um, I know that he takes excellent tours to, to Poland. Uh, Tali Nates of the Johannesburg uh, Holocaust and Genocide Center, I know that she takes, uh, you know, people uh, back to Poland. Um, I'm the only one in South Africa that I'm aware, uh, although I think there are some one or two organizations that want to take people back. I think the IUA were talking about a tour to Lithuania. Um, So that's where I would look on the Internet. My personal story is that two years ago I was phoned by a chap by the name of uh, David Wallace, who has a company in Israel called Eddie's Kosher Travels. And he said to me that he had asked uh, Chief Rabbi Goldstein if he would be their scholar in residence to go to Lithuania because he had published a book with Rabbi Beryl Wine on Lithuania. Uh, The chief rabbi said that he he didn't have capacity in his diary, but he referred him to me. And uh, there was also a referral through through Howard Feldman to me um, that uh, David Wallace knew um, him as well. And he invited me to be his scholar-in-residence, so I've now linked up with him, and we took a tour last year of about 40 people, about at least half of whom were from South Africa. We, this tour that we took last week again, about 50% were from South Africa, the rest were from Australia and America, and um, if people want to look, it's uh, www.koshertravelers.com Or they can contact me, and I'm the South African representative uh, of Eddie Scotia Travels, and we do all sorts of destinations, uh, really across the globe. It's not only Eastern Europe, but it's Western Europe, it's uh, South America, etc. Great. Well, we're going to take a short break when we come back. Uh, speaking again to Hugh
0: Reichlin about traveling all over the world Jewishly. You're listening to 101.9 High FM. This is the new Blue Review. I'm Benji Shulman, and uh, we are discussing Jewish cultural travel around the world. And uh, interestingly, uh, just this week, actually, Hugh uh, uh, alerted me to a quote by Bibi Netanyahu. You can and look for it talking about uh, history and, uh, and and the importance of it and definitely history even plays an important role in how BBC's its own presidency so it's interesting how far it goes up uh, somebody coming through on the SMS line saying uh, when will your next tour be taking place and, and what will be the cost and uh, what countries does the tour include that's from Stephen uh, so you said actually earlier you, you're going to you, you, you're going to Africa, to um, Arabia, to whatever, and uh, so I'd be very interested to hear um uh, what uh, what that's all about because you know um you know these sorts of places uh, so perhaps are less uh well known by by
1: travelers uh you you guys are going to be going to Morocco is that correct correct uh, so we're going to Morocco it's the 23rd of October to the 2nd of November uh the cost is just over $2000 and that is all the land arrangements and um the, the it excludes airfares. So we really are, uh, you know, Eddie's uh, Kosher Travels has tried as much as possible to be sensitive to the Rand dollar exchange (laughs) and and has made it as affordable as possible. And there are also payment plans where people can pay it off uh, over several months.
0: And what have you got in store for people who are interested in coming
1: to something like that? Well, once again, it's going to be our mix of looking at the civilization itself. We're going to be going to places like Casablanca, um, Marrakesh, etc. Uh, some of the five of the biggest uh, centers in uh, in. Uh, Uh, Morocco, and we'll be looking at Jewish history, we'll be looking at the Jewish synagogues our guide will be taking us to the remaining Jewish community, the people that are there, and wherever we go we certainly try and find the Jews in the community, we try and go to their synagogue to pray with them, and then also just to be looking at the beautiful markets and the architecture um, that that makes uh, Morocco as exciting as it is yeah, Certainly it sounds uh, Very
0: exciting uh, Interestingly You can't fly direct From Morocco To South Africa uh, It's the one country In Africa That we kind of Have a bit of a Ferribble with uh, So so you have to go
1: Via Europe It's very well, interesting hey? I've got news for you uh, Eastern Europe It's the same thing <laughs> I mean, We went through We go through Germany We go through Turkey uh, The fact that it's not A direct flight Is not a problem and, and also just to tell people That we really don't believe That there's anything to fear We do our homework Before uh, um, you know, people sometimes might be a little bit nervous about going to a Middle Eastern country, but we've certainly checked it out. There are many Jewish tourists that go there. And in fact, uh, a very close friend of mine in Israel, his father is a Moroccan chazan that goes back to sing in in festivals, music festivals in Morocco, and is, is warmly greeted by the Moroccans. They love him, and uh, we're hoping through him to maybe even uh see the meet some royalty uh, of morocco oh now, how can you resist that <laughs> <laughs> Hugh, uh, if people want to, to to get in touch with you about this tour how can they do that i think the best is to email me it's hugh at reichland dot my first name at my surname so that's h u g h at reichland r a i c h l i n dot c o dot z a or you're welcome to whatsapp me or phone me on zero eight three three double seven 1908. Well, there you go. Hugh Rachelen, um expert uh, in, in Jewish cultural
0: travel. Thank you so much for joining us on the new Blue Review. Many, many thanks Benji. A pleasure talking to you. Brings us to the end of the show for today. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we appreciate it. Any uh, comments, criticisms, uh, commendations, you can uh, let us know. You can tweet us at FM or my own Twitter handle at Benji underscore Shulman. We always love to have your, uh, your, your feedback. Thank you so much for uh, listening to the show. Thank you for Mandy who helps put the show together and for Craig who pushes all the big red buttons. And we will see you next week on the new Blue Review.